0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, tour guides, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes, like tonight, we host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood, On prior episodes, you've heard us cover topics as illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in the city. We've talked about the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've talked about the history of African Americans here. We've talked about the LGBT rights movement and the city's gay community. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. We've explored the history of punk and opera. Those are separate shows. We've talked about our libraries, We've journeyed to some of our greatest train stations and we've even traveled across a couple of our bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and some other services. Tonight, we're having a fun show, a little more lighthearted. Last week, we uh, had an election history. The show This is not a show about politics, as you know, so we didn't talk about current political events. We talked about the history of presidential elections. So this week, I decided we would do something a little more lighthearted. We're going to talk about coffee and tea, those timeless drinks that people the world over love. And we in New York certainly love our coffee and our tea. Our first guest is a returning expert to Rediscovering New York. It's Justin Rivers. Justin is the chief experience officer and lead tour guides for Untapped New York, which used to be called Untapped Cities. Justin started his career as a New York middle school and English language arts teacher on the Lower East Side. Uh, he used to drag his students to historic sites across the city to try to bring New York's lesser known stories to life for them. He became co-creator of The Wonder City. It's a graphic novel that reimagines New York City's entire history. He was also the playwright and producer of The Eternal Space, an off-Broadway play that centered on the demolition of New York City's Pennsylvania Station, of which Justin gives a fantastic tour. It was with this production and one simple tweet that he fell head over heels for Untapped New York, whom he partnered with for his remnants of Penn Station. Along with his role as Chief Experience Officer, Justin is the founding director of the Character Connection Initiative. It's a nonprofit organization that connects character education and mindfulness to middle school curricula. He's also creator and lead guide for some of Untapped New York's popular tours, including the underground tour of the New York City Subway, the Remnants of Dutch New Amsterdam, The Secrets of the Brooklyn Bridge, The Remnants of the World's Fair and Flushing Meadow, The Secrets of Coney Island, Maritime History of New York, The Hidden Gems of Rafael Gustu Guastavino Tour, and The Art of the New York City Subway Walking Tour. And Justin has actually talked about some of these topics on our show in the past. Justin, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. A hearty hello to you, Jeff. Always uh, amazing to be here. Well, it's always great to have you and your expertise and your passion. Um, you're originally from the New York area, aren't you?
1: I am. I was born uh, right outside of New York in New Jersey. Uh, don't hold it against me, but uh, <laughs> I was from, uh, born in Hackensack. And then my parents, when I was younger, moved to a town a little further north in, uh, say, county called Ringwood. And then uh, I went to Fordham University in the Bronx and never came back <laughs> to Jersey. Never of- went back to Jersey. Never went back to Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Jersey right. State of, of New York. Oh, back to New York.
0: It sounds like an interesting uh, uh, title of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> explore writing the screenplay of that sometime. Maybe. What was it in your career path that had you decide that you were going to go into something that was going to bring New York to life and the best of it, uh, and also to create your tours?
1: Uh, it was originally education and uh, knowing that so many New York City students had uh, <laughs> history. And hated social studies. Uh, and one of the things I really. How realized, could anybody
0: hate social studies? That I mean, was my favorite you know, topic in
1: I mean, I always liked it as a kid, but it wasn't until my parents actually brought me to some of the places I was learning about as a kid, like going down to Jamestown or going up to Plymouth, uh, that it came to life for me. And, you know, I said to my students, you live in the Lower East Side. This is the most history dense area of the country. We need to get you out and seeing this stuff. And, uh, and we did. And, that's, and I love that more than anything else I did as a teacher. So that's how it transitioned into being um, a guide for adults. Mm. Well, now we're
0: getting to our topic du jour, coffee and tea in New York.
1: Um,
0: Our history as what we would call a town goes back about 400 years, although there were people living here for thousands before that. But before we talk about coffee and tea in New York, I want to ask you a question about coffee. Mm -hmm. How long have human beings been consuming a hot drink brewed from that bean for?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. Coffee does not have as a beverage the kind of uh, ancient history that tea does. You know, tea, people have been drinking tea for, I'm going to say, about the, you know, thousands of years. But uh, tea, uh, coffee actually does not become a brewed beverage until about 800 years ago. Um, people were consuming the bean uh, in different forms as uh, sustenance for a very long time but not until uh, it gets out of Ethiopia or the uh, African regions does it really become a beverage itself as like hot water ground down.
0: Mm. And unlike tea, which you actually can just dry the leaves and infuse them with with, with coffee, you actually have to brew it a different way. Although I, have to, I just remembered it, I once went on a tour of the Arizona desert and the guy who took us, uh, he talked about um, native tribes who lived on this one stretch a thousand years ago. And the kids would harvest this, coffee-like bean that they would use in in cooking and that they would actually eat. Um, Let's move to tea for a moment. Um, Since the records are of Europeans drinking tea here before coffee, what are the earliest records of tea being drunk in New York by uh, New Netherlanders, which is what they would have been before the English uh, conquered this place? Right.
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think most of us probably listening know that New York was a Dutch city before it was an English city. Um, And so the Dutch were basically bringing tea from their holdings in Asia back home to Amsterdam in the early 1600s. And then, of course, in the 1620s, when the Dutch sail over the ocean uh, to New Amsterdam, they bring tea with them. Um, They actually bring a number of breakfast beverages with them, uh, one of which was not hot. And uh, the tea comes over in the 1620s. Mm. You know, I was uh,
0: really uh, fascinated to read that um, one of the uh, names of tea, actually, that I always thought was based on some kind of orange thing, orange pico tea. It was named not for the color, but was named after the Dutch Royal House of Orange.
1: Yes, you know William.
0: Correct. Yep. Um, let's move on to tea consumption after New Amsterdam was taken sure. over by the English and became New York. Being an English place, I would assume that tea was a really big thing here.
1: Well, yeah, so tea was a big deal. But a lot of people don't realize that um, tea actually becoming an English beverage happens right around the same time it happens to be a Dutch beverage because the, the British and the Dutch are vying for both of these Asian markets in the early 1600s. They start bringing these exotic drinks home. Tea becomes a cultural staple in the 1600s. And again, at the same time, when New York becomes uh, an English city in 1664, tea is brought over. Now, one of the differences, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, between tea and coffee was, uh, coffee was really a man's beverage. Um, it was really consumed socially by men only, whereas tea could be consumed both by men and women socially. So it was uh, much more of a social drink for the English uh, New Yorkers, uh, the colonists at the time. So, um It was definitely more prolific in New York than coffee was at the time. And there were uh, separate coffee houses and
0: tea houses, weren't there? It wasn't like you could go like now to to go to Starbucks and get coffee or tea. You either went to a coffee house or a tea house.
1: Yes. And very much so because of the gender difference. Uh, So there were tea gardens. Um, There were uh, hundreds of tea gardens all throughout New York. I think one of the most famous that New Yorkers will know uh, probably by name is Vauxhall. Um, One of the reasons why is a lot of famous New York literary types uh, would hang out at Vox Hall, which not only was a place to consume tea, but it was a place for entertainment. Uh, There were elaborate fountains and Vox Hall is actually named after a hall in London. Uh, And so these were mirrors of places that people would go and socialize uh, in London. But also it was a place of courtship because, again, women could drink it. So tea was on a bigger, bigger scale. Now, for coffee houses, it was different. Coffee houses were places of business. Uh, You did business transactions in coffee houses Mm -hmm. in the 16 and 1700s. And so that was a man's only business for a very long time.
0: Mm. That's it. When I I traveled to Hong Kong, when I used to be in business uh, that took me overseas, um, uh, I thought that the tea houses of Hong Kong were very reminiscent of what coffee houses would have been in England um, uh, and New York. Uh, in the early days places to conduct business where people actually just didn't go to socialize they actually got business done
2: yeah they Um, were
1: business and cultural centers coffee houses a lot of uh, a lot of business got done there and I read that the colonists sometimes, even in coffee houses, would hold court trials
0: in
2: some of these places. In some of the yeah, urban so, coffee uh, houses.
1: in in one of the first coffee houses New York ever had, the King's Arms, um, there were witch trials being yeah. conducted at at the time. Yes, New York did not have as uh, wide a dearth of witch trials as, sort of, say, Salem did or New England, but we did have a couple. And yes, they, uh, a lot of trials were held in coffee houses at the time.
0: Mm. What were some of the more famous coffee houses like before the revolution? What what were some of the names of places that people in some of the the the, the bigger establishments?
1: Three heavy hitters uh, come to mind. Well, one post-revolution, two pre-revolution. Uh, the King's Arms was the first uh, known coffee house, I believe, founded in sixteen. I want to say ninety-eight, um, and it was a place. It was right on Broadway. It was right next to uh, Trinity Church's property, and it was a home. It was actually a yellow brick. Based home, which uh, was a holdover from the Delta period, had multiple levels, had an observation deck on the top where men could get their coffee, do their business, and then watch out over uh, the Hudson and the harbor to see if ships were coming in uh, for shipping. And the King's Arms, like I said, was host to trials, uh, famously, some witch trials in New York. The next uh, biggest coffee house in New York's history was the Merchant's Coffee House on the corner of Pearl and Wall Street. And there was some important there was some important history that happened
0: there both before and after the revolution.
1: Very important. So I like to say America was really born in a coffeehouse in New York because uh, it was the Continental Congress was thought up of in the Merchants coffee House on Wall Street. Uh, and one of the first pre-meetings of the Continental Congress happened there. And then after the revolution, uh, President-elect George Washington was first recognized as the president of the United States in a ceremony outside of the merchant's coffee house. So a really big deal. That hmm. coffee house.
0: What was the Tontine coffee house? I, I saw a picture recently in a, of, a, of a building built around that time. And I didn't know that you could have that. There were five and six story, you know, stone structures down um, in lower Manhattan, you know, around this time. But yeah. one of them was called the Tontine coffee house.
1: Tontine coffee house is again, a very uh, historic spot, not only for New York, but America because it was the home of the New York stock exchange. Uh, and the Tontine Coffee House uh, was a multi-story building with a balcony, and it was di- diagonally across from the Merchant's Coffee House. It too was also on Wall and Pearl, and um, it was the place where the first New York Stock Exchange sat inside. The New York Stock Exchange was founded under a, a buttonwood tree down the street on Wall Street, but once they settled inside, they settled on the second floor of the Tontine. So that's that is where the stock exchange finds its first home. And wasn't also the first Bank of New York, the Bank
0: of New York actually con- either conceived or uh, the first meeting of the of the bank, people who started the bank, wasn't a coffee house?
1: Yeah. So uh, actually in the Tontine, they met. So there were multiple floors and multiple floors had different purposes, especially in the Tontine. So the first floor was the floor you got your beverage um, and you could sit and be social. The second and the uh, upper floors were places almost like boardrooms or conference rooms. They'd go upstairs and conduct business. So uh, the stock exchange was sort of second floor-ish. Uh, and I do believe, yes, the uh, the Bank of New York was dreamt up. And uh, I believe the charter was drawn up in Tontine and then moved just down the street to the next corner where it was mm-hmm. uh, laid out as a building. Uh, before we
0: take a break in a minute, I want to ask you a quick question uh, sure. about roasting coffee, a little uh, a little, we're uh, not well-known fact about it. Uh, unlike tea, coffee had to be roasted. Tea could just be dry, but coffee had to be roasted. Um, Could one buy roasted coffee in New York hundreds of years
1: ago? No. So uh, interestingly about coffee was uh, when it was in the colonial period, you had to buy green coffee, which is just uh, raw coffee uh, bean. And then it was, again, the woman's job to purchase the coffee, mainly from the markets, bring it home, and then they would roast it on the open hearth fires. So you would see like the hearths would be scorched black by uh, the coffee roasting process. It wasn't until later in industrial New York, a man by the name of Jabez Burns actually invents the industrial roaster. And that, that sort of changes coffee consumption in New York completely. That's oh, wow. not the 1800s.
0: Um, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with the history of coffee and tea in our great city, New York, with our first guest, Justin Rivers of Untapped New York. We'll be back in a moment.
3: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
2: Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc.
3: Hey, all you listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc.
0: back to this episode of Rediscovering New York and our special program about coffee and tea in our great city, New York. My first guest is Justin Rivers, who's the chief experience officer and lead tour guide of Untapped New York. Um, Justin, it's been a challenging time for tour companies uh, with during the pandemic. Um, what kinds of programming is Untapped New York offering its, its customers now, and what kind of special uh, things you have coming up?
1: Well, uh, we went virtual with our Insiders membership program in March, right after the pandemic sort of hit. So uh, on a weekly basis, we do three to four virtual uh, either tours or talks, um, which people can go to uh, untappedcities.com slash insiders, use the code join us for two months free to give it a try. It's join us as one word. But also we are back, I'm happy to say, since uh, early September with uh, in-person uh, Tour experiences—they're uh, socially distanced. We're all outside. We're a ten-person capacity, and uh, we have earpieces so people can uh, sort of scatter around and and feel comfortable. Uh, and it's been great because the tours have been selling really well, and we're—it uh, feels good to be back out in the world again. Oh, great! Um,
0: backing back to tea and coffee in New York, and in, in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about. Uh, some of the more recent history of coffee houses, but I, I want to go back a couple of hundred years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a real sucker for history. Um, let's talk about tea in the time of the revolution. We all know about the Boston Tea Party, but uh, New York, not to be
1: outdone by anybody else in this <laughs> we had our own tea party, didn't we? We did. We had our own tea party, which very few people talk about because Boston's was first. Uh, but in April of 1774, um, we The New York had actually come off of suffering through the Townsend Acts uh, a couple of years before, which started the idea of taxation without representation. And it shifts over. Uh, those are repealed. And then uh, England enacts the tea acts And uh, people actually think the tea acts uh, increased the price of coffee. It did not. It gave uh, the East India, uh, the British East India Company or English East India Company, excuse me, carte blanche to not have tariffs or taxes on their tea. So they could uh, basically name their own price and have a monopoly, which ticked off a lot of American port cities, including Boston and New York. So they were they were not happy about this. and mm-hmm. um, That's why Boston had their tea party. Uh, and then in April of 1774, New York decides to do their own version. Uh, there were two ships, uh, one of which that came in was the Nancy. And the Nancy had uh, about almost 700 chests of tea in it. Then the New Yorkers, who had decided they were going to rebel a little bit, said to the captain, of the Nancy, hey, you know, we're going to let you go, but turn around and get out of here or we're going to dump your tea like they did in Boston. And actually, the captain of the Nancy took the advice, uh, but he spent a couple of days hanging around getting provisions to go back to London. And then a ship called the London sails into the harbor. And the captain, knowing that the New Yorkers were uh, boarding and were going to do this, says, "I I don't have any tea on board. Uh, But they were tipped off by some people in Philadelphia, the New Yorkers that were, uh, that is saying uh, he's got actually a private 18 chest uh, stash of tea that he wanted to sell uh, for himself for personal profit. And the New Yorkers boarded and dumped that tea uh, in the harbor, (laughs) much like they did in (laughs) Boston. And then that captain and both the Nancy sort of went in uh, back home to London with their uh, Mm -hmm. tail tucked between their legs. And it was not as well known, but the coercive acts were then passed to sort of punish the colonists for these acts. Well, maybe in typical New York fashion, I read that
0: the colonists uh, who were waiting, uh, called the Sons of Liberty, were waiting to uh, put on their, their mohawk garb yes. to try to copy, but they yeah. couldn't wait. and they. Yeah. You know, impatience. So, impatience. We've had impatient New Yorkers for 250 years. The, the They'll wait to get
1: costumed up. They just yeah, have to a, a, And also of note, what the New Yorkers did as they took the they emptied the tea in the harbor and then burned the chests and bonfires in the streets, which is also uh, a unique New York twist to that. <laughs> well, let us not
0: say that New Yorkers aren't resourceful. Oh, that's all true. the all the uh, assets uh, uh, at a given time. Um, right. just a couple of quick things before we go to more modern times. Um, yeah. Uh, John Jacob Astor, who was America's first multimillionaire, aside from him making a fortune in uh, shipping uh, uh, fur and other goods overseas, his ships actually ref- came back and came back with Chinese tea uh, that helped uh, him make the, the money he did. And uh, for those of us old enough to uh, remember the A&P, the A&P was originally the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. It opened on Vesey Street in 1859 and grew into the world's largest chain store. It's the ancestor of today's AMP. and p uh, by 1860, by the start of the Civil War, uh, $8.3 million worth of imported tea was handled by New York merchants. Uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit now and come to the 20th century. Um, what are some of the more recent coffee businesses in New York that started maybe around the turn of the century and, and a little bit after that? And, and what were some of their unusual characteristics?
1: Well, uh, coffee in the 20th century uh, in New York has, of course, like New York does, uh, characters associated with it. Uh, and so the woman, there's a woman. Mm-hmm. Her name is Alice Foote McDougall. She was born in one of the Greek revival row houses on cent- uh, West uh, Washington Square Park North. Um, born into a rich family that went broke. She marries a coffee broker. He goes broke and dies on her. And she decides she's going to become an independent woman. She goes into the coffee business. Sounds a
0: little bit like Betsy Jamel when uh, her husband died. Very
1: much like Betsy Jamel, correct. And uh, she uh, starts a company called AF McDougal, and she begins importing green coffee Uh, without the gender specific name, but she doesn't love it. So she switches her career and she starts actually selling. She becomes a whole bean retailer in Grand Central Terminal of all places. She opens one of the first coffee shops there called the Little Coffee Shop. Uh, And it was in the Lexington Avenue Passage and uh, she opened it in 1919. So just six years after the terminal opens. And it's a really blustery day in February. There's a Nor'easter blowing through and she decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to brew my coffee. Uh, she was just selling whole bean at the time. Uh, she brews the coffee, and then she tells her, one of her shop girls to go home and get her waffle iron. She starts making waffles and selling coffee uh, to the commuters, and it's, it's a hit. It, it becomes such a hit that she ends up uh, making an absolute fortune, and she starts opening all of these po- uh, posh Mediterranean-style coffee houses all over the upper and uh, east and west sides of Manhattan, and they become this is where uh, the, the gender discrepancy between coffee gets equalized. They become very fashionable places for women to go and drink coffee. And all of a sudden, coffee becomes very much a woman's game. And she, I always say she was New York's first Martha Stewart. She had a whole empire, coffee houses and cookbooks. Uh, she gave advice to housewives on how to prepare their coffee and what to make to serve with the coffee. Little secret about Alice mm-hmm. foot McDougal. She didn't know how to cook at all. She never set foot in the kitchen. So she faked it until she made it on that one. Um, uh, going chronologically, then, of course, you have Cafe Reggio in uh, the West Village, which is still open today and started by a guy named Domenico Parisi, who if you look at pictures of him, he looks like Hercule Poirot uh, when he was younger. He comes over from Italy. And with the Italian wave of immigrants to the village, they bring with them their coffee, which is espresso, very different from the boiled coffee that New Yorkers knew before that hand. As a matter of fact, somebody said, uh, a a food critic at the time said, I have great respect for what comes out of the Italian kitchen, but the coffee ought not come out at all. It should be used to scrub copper pots because espresso was so strong. But Domenico uh, was a uh, barber. And he would serve a shot of espresso to his patrons, and he decided, you know what, I really like serving the coffee more than cutting the hair. So he takes his life savings, which is $1,000, and gets a giant uh, Vitero Arduino uh, espresso machine shipped from Italy to the, the village, and he opens up Reggio in 1929. It's the longest-running uh, cafe in new york still running today and he introduces from this monstrous machine which is now uh, an artifact on the wall in reggio uh the cappuccino in an cappuccino had not been in new york before 1929 no he is he is some debate that he's the first to serve espresso but that's that you cannot back there were a lot of people doing espresso at the time but he does introduce cappuccino to new yorkers and it's right on his awning um, he uh, he gets it in an event to or to get women to drink it because it's a lot softer, mm, obviously. Okay. And on McDougal
0: Street, I think we may have the second oldest coffee and tea purveyor. We're going to speak to the owner of the first in the second half of the show. Yes. Um, uh, what's the history of, of
5: Puerto
1: Rico? So Puerto Rico actually starts... Puerto, not Puerto. It's not... Yeah, uh, it's Puerto. And the reason why it was named Puerto Rico uh, was because uh, the Pope... At the time, in the early 1900s, drank coffee from Puerto Rico. Uh, And so they named the business after that for the Catholic Italians, knowing that, well, if it's good enough for the Pope, it's good enough for you. That's why it's the P-O-R-T-O spelling. Uh, And it was started in the early 1900s by a guy named Patsy Albanese, who actually opened an Italian food shop with coffee. It wasn't just coffee. But uh, a baker down the street, the Longo family, eventually buys the business from Albanese uh, and opens, -opens, reopens Puerto Rico where it is today, the original location on, um, right on Bleecker. And actually, one of the things that I love, the story about the Longos I love is that they're... uh, Peter, who owns it now, grew up in that building, and his mother, Rose, used to sit above the awning and flick cigarettes out. (laughs) There were cigarette holes in the awning. Uh, And so when Rose turned 100, they roasted a rose blend, which was apparently very strong, uh, like she was. (laughs) I love that story.
0: It's very New York. (laughs) Well, better to burn holes in the awning than to burn holes in the customer's hair. (laughs) Yeah, it's very much so. Um, and we have an interesting story about uh, 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 something classic New York, and that's based on a coffee cup.
1: But a lot of people don't wouldn't be able to name it. But almost every New Yorker has seen it. So uh, I have two favorite stops. or uh, two favorite things I do on the tour, one of which is uh, I, I go to McNulty's, who I know we're going to be talking to next and get uh, chocolate roasted espresso beans. And my second is I give out Anthora cups to the tour goers when we take that's the name the- of the Anthora. And yeah. And so the Anthora cup, for those of you, it, a shame you can't see it, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that paper blue and white cup with the Greek signet on it. Uh, and it says we are happy to serve you. And of course, a lot of people may recognize this from it was brought back into popularity recently when um, Mad Men featured it on a Mad Men episode. Law and Order. They were always drinking out of the Anthora coffee cups and the, the history behind it. Uh, was that a guy, uh, a Czechoslovakian uh, Holocaust survivor, comes over to immigrants from the United, uh, to the United States from Czechoslovakia. He and his brother-in-law worked for the Sherry Cup Company. He's a graphic designer at the time, a designer. And he, they wanted to get the big Greek diner coffee contracts in New York because there were Greek diners all over. So he says, well, let's do something Greek. And he designs the Greek signet, and an anthora is a vessel to hold liquid from ancient Greece. And you'll, the original cups have those vases on them. Uh, and all of the cups you see today are imposters. Uh, Solo Cup brought them uh, in the early two thousands, and then sold uh, in the nineties. I'm sorry, sold it off in the two thousands. Only one company makes the original anthora, and it's called the New York Cup Ooh. Company, and that's where I order mine by the hundreds. Oh. <laughs>
0: Well, it's probably the only cardboard thing ever created of which there are knockoffs. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. And <laughs> knock many knockoffs, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're almost out of time, Justin, but I want to end with, uh, uh, you
1: can go to, we actually have a coffee and tea festival in New York, don't we? And it's yes. In Brooklyn. This is great. So the Brooklyn uh, Coffee and Tea uh Expo is happening in, it's at the Expo Center, Brooklyn Expo Center in Greenpoint, and it's happening, I believe it is December 12th and 13th. Uh, it is happening, uh, even with COVID, um, they are taking socially distance measures, and uh, yeah, you can discover new and exotic coffees and teas there.
0: Oh, great. Well, Justin, this has been an illuminating and wonderful conversation as always. Uh, always fun. <laughs> Our first guest, everyone, has been Justin Rivers. Justin is the Chief Experience Officer and Lead Tour Guide of Untapped New York, formerly called Untapped Cities. You can find it about their great offerings at www.untappedcities.com. Did I get that right? You did. All right, excellent. Well, everyone, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to speak to the owner of one of the oldest retail establishments in the city, and I believe the oldest purveyor of coffee and tea in the city. We'll be back in a moment.
3: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show... We journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7pm, so tune in on Talk Radio NYC.
6: Are you a conscious co-creator?
0: Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? back support for rediscovering new york comes from our sponsors christopher pappas mortgage specialist at td bank to find out how chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you please give chris a call at 203-512-3918 and support also comes from the law offices of Thomas thomasiaca focusing on wills estate planning probate and inheritance litigation tom and the staff can be reached at 212-495 0317. The program is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures that make up this great place that we live in. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. That's Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris Stevens. You can hear Vince's show on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 306-4761. Well, speaking of coffee and tea, our second guest is the owner of New York's perhaps oldest purveyor of tea and coffee, David Wong of McNulty's Tea and Coffee Company, right on Christopher Street. McNulty's has been owned by David's family since 1980. He first started working part-time at the shop during high school years and became full-time in business after college. And as he likes to say, he's hoping to be in business for another hundred years, The store carries over 100 coffees and over 100 teas, and I hope we're going to find out about some of the best ones in a bit. McNulty's was rated as best coffee and tea shop in New York City in the Zagat Marketplace Guide. It was featured on The Dig with L. McLogan on CBS New York in 2019 and 2020. And to top it all off, McNulty's was the winner of the Village Award from the Greenwich Village Society for Historic Preservation in 2011. David Wong, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York.
6: Hi, Jeff. How are you?
0: Good. How you doing Thank you for tonight.
6: having me on your show.
0: I really appreciate you making the time, especially since your closing time is 7 p.m. and our show starts at 7. And, uh,
6: <laughs> no problem.
0: <laughs> except for our, our listeners who are looking at this live on Facebook. Most can't. Uh, I love the background. It's actually a shelf behind you in the store with, yeah, uh, this
6: before, we, with coffee beans. I, I have all the rubber stamps behind me, too. <laughs> uh,
0: it's great. And it's old, too. Um, yes. Um, McNulty's has been in business for 120 years. Um, I'm guessing that someone named McNulty started the business?
6: Yes, we've been told that a guy named uh, John McNulty actually owned the shop from 1895 to maybe in the 1930s. Uh, Him and his family owned it. Um, When the shop first opened back in 1895, it was actually further down the block than us right now at 109. But it was located at 125, near the corner of uh, Christopher and Hudson. And back then it was a uh, a two story building. There were maybe two or three of those two story buildings uh, that they knocked down uh, in 1939. And uh, when the high rise went up, somehow they were very lucky to find a vacant spot right up the block. And uh, it's been here since 1940 at 109 Christopher Street.
0: Wow, that's amazing! You've been there for 80 years. Well, not you specifically, yeah. but the business has been there for 80 years, um, right? uh dare i ask a real estate question do you and your family yeah. actually own the real estate that you're we we do not okay. <laughs>
6: unfortunately but but the uh, the good story about this is that um none of the owners ever owned the building so uh but somehow every owner made it through <laughs> including us without any problems hmm. so i would just say uh knock on wood on that when did your family buy McNulty's, david we've had it since 1980 um the story behind that was that uh, my older brother ty used to work for the uh, previous ownership uh when he was in college he 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 went to columbia so uh tuition up there was pretty high so uh, he, he had to work two jobs to support uh the tuition up there so one job was the irs and the other job was uh working here in mcnellies so talk uh,
2: about
0: uh, <laughs> different different kinds of work yes did your family have a background in, in in this kind of business? And if not, what what? No, no. You, Other you than, to...
6: than my brother that worked here, uh, no. I, I I think that was it. You know, and uh, everybody sort of backed him up by uh, by uh, getting behind him on, on on this project that he uh, wanted to do.
0: It's great to to see multi-generational businesses. And it's special for me to come across multi-generational businesses, but a business that was bought by someone who worked in the business. Yes, and they bought it and then it stayed in the family. So it's just yes. something very spiritually special about those businesses and about people who not only uh, uh, took them over, but also had had subsequent generations decide that they would make it their their livelihood and keep and, and keep the torch going.
6: Yes, and I, I have my nephews working here now too, and my niece. So it, it I guess, we will we'll be passing it on to, hopefully. <laughs>
0: Did you start working at McNulty's right when when your family bought it?
6: Yes, uh, maybe maybe a few years after that, I started, you know, helping out the family on the weekends, uh, mostly, you know, Saturday, Sunday. I was off from school, so uh, I, I pitched in and uh, and just you know just just helped out, and uh, I think by working it really opened. Opened me up by by quite a bit because I used to be quite quite a uh, introvert, you know. So,
0: and now you have a retail business, and you yes, know, and, yes, we do. Actually, seeing uh, uh, the piece on CBS, I would never have guessed that you were an introvert. <laughs> so happy, you know, <laughs> yeah. speaking with the customers and 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 yeah, I, I think they opened come to the a lot
6: by doing that. Yes.
0: I want to ask you what, what was the, you know, since you, you describe yourself as a past introvert, um, uh, what kind of, um, uh, process or journey did you go through to decide, okay, I want to do this. I can do this to, to actually take over the the running of the business.
6: Yeah. So, uh, so, so I, you know, like I said before, I I was working it during the weekends, uh, you know, throughout, uh, high school and college and, uh, and after college, my brother decided to get into a different field. So we became a, uh, a IT, a computer IT. So, uh, so my dad asked me if I wanted to uh, take over. And, uh, and I said, sure, you know, let's keep it in the family. Let's keep it going.
0: How has the business changed um, in terms of what you offer since the, or has it changed since, since, since your family bought it 40 years ago?
6: Um, I guess the big change is that we've been, I, I guess we do a lot of mail orders now, much more so than ever before.
0: And of course online um, too, which didn't exist in nineteen. Of course online
6: too, yeah. And I got my <clears throat> nephew's help in, uh, in creating all these social media pages, you know, Facebook, Twitter and all that stuff to, uh, to help us out even more, you know, just to put it, put the name out there.
0: I know this might be a difficult question um, because it it, it happened before you and your family took over the business. Do you know of or if the business changed aside from the location in the time that it was first started by John McNulty until the time that your family bought it? That was like an 85 year uh, time frame from the time it started to to when you bought it.
6: Yeah. The funny thing is that we heard a uh, a story from an elder lady uh, that, that came in, I think, in the 90s. And she told us that she remembered going to the original shop. And she was shopping there with her parents and her parents uh, bought coffee, but they bought a a bag of popcorn for her. So we envision this store to be maybe more of a general store than the actual coffee and tea shop like like it is today, you know, Mm -hmm. where it specializes in selling tea and coffee. But maybe they have other products, too.
0: I want to ask you um, about the challenges that McNulty's has faced in business in turbulent times, Um, um, even though the drinks of coffee and tea are such an important part of the lives of most Americans and certainly most workers. um, The first thing that comes to mind for me, believe it or not, being a history maven, is the Second World War. And I'm interested because coffee was rationed. Yes, yes. Um, do you know if that impacted the business at all uh, of, of, of the shop? Um, I mean, it was before you it, were on the planet, obviously, but, uh, you Yeah, know, you-
6: I, I would say it probably did for a little bit, um, but somehow the, the, the store survived. Uh, back then, I, I, because right now I think we have over 100 coffees and, and over 100 teas, and back then they probably only had a fraction of what we carry now. So even though that uh, there might be a ration on coffee, maybe the tea sales were, were better, you know, back then. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, but even coffee going back, I think to these Civil War days, there, you know, there was a coffee shortage, so they had to put chicory in it, and then that's why we have New Orleans coffee with chicory nowadays. Right? right. In yeah. Orleans. I always so, thought
0: I'm. New Orleans, as, as I like to say, Southern Louisiana used to be my second home. I used to go to New Orleans all the time. And okay. I love cookery coffee. And I just thought that it was um, something that people did because it tasted good. And that was because. No, it,
6: it was actually used as a filler. So, right. so, they- so, uh, so you Neil, know, that extended the coffee.
0: And of course, there were blockades in the south, and, and that, that's yeah. one of the. You know, um, um, certain things were rationed in this country because they wanted to during the war. After, because they wanted to make sure the troops had it. But I read that the reason why coffee was rationed and not tea was hmm. because coffee was imported in the uh, uh, via the Atlantic Ocean, and yes. there were German U-boats operating, um, and so yes. c- coffee importation really went down. But not so with tea because there wasn't really U-boat activity in the Pacific. <laughs> so uh, co- correct. Um, Tea continued right. to, to 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 come here, um, and the uh, I also read and was kind of fascinated by. Uh, coffee was the first thing that came off the ration list. They kept decreasing the not, the amount of coffee a family could have because there was okay. such. It wasn't an uproar about butter and 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 meat as much <laughs> as there was coffee. So so Roosevelt right. uh, did away with that. He said, "Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna." <laughs> uh, you know, Maybe he was uh, imagining uh, a coffee drinker's coming with pitchforks to the White House and didn't. Sure.
6: Want well, <laughs> it <was the> <laughs> so so many people need coffee to get them going in the morning. So why not, right?
0: <laughs> I want to ask you about one other difficulty, um, and this would have happened after your family owned the shop for so many years. Christopher Street was the physical and spiritual center of the LGBT community in the city, and especially sure the on. stretch of Christopher Street between Bleecker yes. and trees, You know, it used. Uh, I used to actually do business there. I uh, from nineteen eighty. Uh, six to 92. I used to publish. You may have even seen them. Uh, they used to be called uh, the gay fun maps. They were they were maps of businesses and we did business with. People
6: oh, yes. I remember them. Yes.
0: Um, and I know some of the businesses aside from the bars, but also the retail shops um, mm-hmm. uh, that didn't even particularly have an exclusively gay clientele like the candle shop and, 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 and lilac sh- uh, chocolates were really impacted by the AIDS epidemic, um, which decimated a substantial part of the community of people who lived in the West Village. Was sure. was McDonald's business at all impacted by, uh, by the I think it was
6: impacted epidemic? a little bit because we, we do have a, a lot of uh, gay clientele. Um, I I think uh, when it first started, you know, people didn't know what it was. And, and uh, as it started happening, we, we started seeing a lot of our customers getting very sick. You know, so a lot of people were coming in and they were, you know, healthy, and then over over the span of like five six years, they, you know, they they were very sick, and uh and and we noticed that um you know with more people passing away due to due, due, due to AIDS um it it did affect the business quite a bit, you know at at that point from the uh I would say from the eighties to the early nineties or mid nineties.
0: Sadly, some of your neighbors, I actually knew them. I used to do business with Rob and Kilgallen of the candle shop and had bonded yes, lilac yes. chocolates. They they succumbed.
6: Yeah, anyway. no, it was a very sad time, you know. Mm. So,
0: Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our excitement about caffeinated products, coffee and tea, with David Wong, over, owner of McNulty's Tea and Coffee Company on Christopher Street. We'll be back in a moment.
3: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC
5: uplift, educate, and empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times tune in on tuesday evenings from 5 p.m to 6 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc
0: back and you're back to rediscovering new york in our special episode about coffee and tea in new york past and present my second guest is david wong david and his family own mcnulty's tea and coffee company a business that's been on christopher street in the west village since 1895 125 years has to be one of the oldest retail businesses in the city david i gotta be like in the top one percent i'm thinking
6: (laughs) i think so i think so i'll uh, probably us in uh, in puerto rico you know the, mm. the two oldest shops in uh, in the city
0: uh-huh oh really well you're older than puerto rico puerto rico's uh years think, younger than you uh, 12, uh, 12 yeah. years younger than you yeah <laughs> um your business has to have been impacted by the pandemic but i know you're open now i hope things are going you know pretty much back to normal for for the band.
6: yeah things are pretty much back to normal uh, i think the uh the the we're Certainly been doing a lot of mail orders um a lot of our customers moved away you know either to upstate new York or east eastern long island uh so a lot of them have been uh, asking us to ship them coffee so you know so we're doing that part of helping them out uh the the only part that's missing I guess will be tourists you know whether they be uh domestic or international you know so um hopefully you know with the vaccine coming out you know hopefully next year will be a lot better well, that will come
0: back. I mean, I was actually on a call today, the little real estate business. I was on a call today with uh, my company's economist, and we were talking about uh, just the real estate market, but also the city's economy. and And he thought that um, uh, the business in the city will be back to normal, in, including tourism, maybe within two years. But should pick, you know, begin to pick up again next year. Yes. Um, well, one of I think my favorite part about this interview with you is to is to ask you about the coffees and teas, about the flavors. Oh, what yeah. What are some so, of the most uh, distinctive coffees and teas that you have at McBelty's?
6: I, I would say that one of the uh, most distinctive coffees would be uh, the Geisha coffee. Uh, it, it's grown nowadays either in Panama or Colombia. We have the Colombia version of that, but it's mm-hmm. an Ethiopian varietal that that they grow in small batches in in small crops in uh in colombian panama and uh it has a very unusual flavor but uh but very exquisite and uh, and no other no other coffee tastes like it Brilliant. you know i How- would have to say that it, it i would describe it as tasting a little bit fruity uh maybe a little you know little sweet little honey notes to it but uh but it's exceptional
0: Mm. Do you ever blend coffees that are that are sort of pre-blended? Um, because I know, teas are blended, but I, I, I know it's this. It, it may sound like a stupid question, but I don't oh, know. Oh, sure, yeah, is, we, we have As much about blends. coffee as tea.
6: Yeah, we, we have a lot of blends that that we do. Uh, we we have a house blend, for example, that we uh, mix Mexican, Costa Rican, and uh, french roast Colombian, and I think that's been the house mixture here in, in the shop for the last eighty or ninety years. Uh, so we do have a lot of coffee blends and we also blend stuff with people. You know, if you were to come in and say, I would like, you know, 40 percent Colombian, 30 percent Ethiopian and 20 and percent uh, French roast," we'll, we'll do it after you. We'll, we'll blend it out for you.
0: One thing I'm really impressed about your business, David, is the records you keep of your customers uh, who want specific blends. Uh, yes. I haven't seen it personally, but I've seen it on the CBS. Uh, uh, part where <laughs> yes. You had those you know, you have an extensive card catalog with people's yes. names and, uh, you know, the kind of blends that they've ordered in the past and the kind of. Oh, sure. They requested. Yes. Um, what are some of the more distinctive teas
6: that you that you have at the shop? Uh, probably one would be, uh, some of these are very fancy teas, like, uh, there's a green tea from Nepal that, that we sell a lot of, uh, it's called Mm -hmm. Nepal honey green because it has a, a sweet flavor to it. Uh, another really good one, uh, which is probably one of my favorite teas, it's golden monkey is a black tea from, uh, from Fuzhen, China. Uh, and it also has a sweet caramel notes to it. Oh, And is that blended at all to get
0: that or is it, is is, Uh, is it from a specific? It's
6: It's just just, uh, a straight up tea. Mm.
0: Do you get your coffees and teas from foreign suppliers or do you get
6: them from like someone who imports Uh, them locally? Yeah, we we do it locally. So we get it from importers, Uh Uh, you know, coffees. We get it from local roasters because uh, we can't roast coffee in the shop, you know, uh, anymore. I, I think the last time that we roasted coffee in the shop was back in the, uh, Either the late 50s or early 60s, Uh, the EPA wouldn't allow uh, roasting in a residential neighborhood, you know, because of the smoke and and the fire hazard and all that stuff. Oh. Um, You know, attached to to one of our windows in the back, uh, there's still a smokestack where we used to roast coffee in a roaster, you know, used to be in that spot, but not anymore.
0: But the smokestack is still there.
6: It's still there. Yes. Oh, great. (laughs) great. That's been taken down.
0: Well, for our guests who've never seen pictures of McNulty's, um, it, it really harkens back to uh, to a hundred years ago. That's it's it's an old world oh, yeah. type of shop with and it, and it's really beautiful. Uh, I would recommend anyone go in there, even if you're not a coffee or a tea drinker.
6: Yes, a lot of people describe it as a coffee and tea museum. <laughs> you know, it's just like one of everything in here.
0: What goes into you deciding that you want to put you want to carry a? a, a a new blend of tea or coffee in the store. What? How do you? How I, does I guess sometimes
6: you? by uh, by by popular demand. You know that that's always a big key. You know, if enough people are uh, request it, we'll uh, we'll do our best to bring it in. Um, and then you know, others maybe uh, we would get samples from our suppliers. And uh, if anything strikes out strikes us being really good, then uh, we'll consider bringing that in too.
0: Are all of your coffees and blends listed on your website, David? Uh, yes, they are. Yes, uh-huh. and that website address is
6: uh, the website address is uh, www. dot Com uh, without the apostrophe.
0: Um, you know, one thing I was a little disappointed personally is that I, I checked your website out, uh, and you're out of the premium coffee
6: and the premium tea gift sets. Oh, <laughs> that, 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 that that that's going to be back in next next week or in two weeks, I would say. Oh, good. Just in so time it's, for the holidays. Done we speak right now. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent. Do you, do you have them made and packaged, or do, or do you do that yourself? Uh, we, uh, some we, we have it uh, made mm. up for us by someone else, but, uh, but some we, we package ourselves.
0: Mm. Um, and I have one last question for you. Is there a favorite coffee that you love more than any else to drink, and the same with the tea?
6: Uh, I probably can pinpoint one. But I'm going to say for coffees, probably uh, Sumatra would be one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe the one from, uh, from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. that, that you mentioned earlier with Justin. You know, that, that's one of my favorite coffees, uh, the Yalco Selecto. And, and for teas, probably the, uh, the Golden Monkey and, and also uh, another Chinese black called Yingdi Number no. 9. That's another uh, really full-body tea that I love.
0: Well, the next time I'm down on Christopher Street, I'm going to have to stop in and get some for myself. Uh, or actually, I could order it on the on the website. I don't even have to wait to <laughs> down. But no, I want the full experience.
5: Okay. Um,
0: I have one other question for you. Would you sure. say that that you sell more coffee or more tea at the shop?
6: I would say probably we sell more coffee in in this way, uh, Jeff. Um, we sell more coffee because a pound of coffee makes only thirty cups, and a pound of tea makes maybe a hundred cups. So, uh, so the you know. The the people buying coffee will always come back more often than than the people buying tea Mm. because of that, because of the uh, the difference in the cups.
0: Right. It takes less tea to make a cup of tea than coffee to make a cup of coffee. Correct.
6: Yes. Yes.
0: All right. Well, David, thank you so much for being a guest on the program. It was great to have you. And I'm glad to see that your business is open and in business again. And uh, we haven't met yet uh, face to face. Uh, Ordinarily, we do this in studio, obviously, but with the pandemic, we're doing it on Zoom. But I'm looking forward to meeting you hopefully really soon.
6: Yes, me me too. I thank you so much for having me on, Jeff. Thank you My so much. My pleasure.
0: My pleasure. Our second guest in this program about coffee and tea in New York has been David Wong. David and his family own McNulty's Tea and Coffee Company. That's at 125 Christopher Street. And you can find out about their offerings online at www.mcnulty's.com.
6: Uh, Jeff, we're, we're, we're at 109 Christopher.
0: I'm sorry, 109. Thank you for correcting me. I would want people to go to 125. <laughs> Maybe they'd wind up at the Leatherman <laughs> or something feel, at 125. <laughs> (laughs)
6: That was from 1895 to 39.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Thank you. That's 109 Christopher Street, everybody. Um, If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown, Harris, Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. The show's producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening continues to be the great Sam Lebowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
4: broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders.
2: Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m. We focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc.
7: Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc.
3: Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc.